0: Howdy gang as we clear our throats uh, Backcountry, country <laughs> no, man that's a, that's a hey man we're we're real guys really podcasting here but uh, this is a uh, backcountry and barbells Joe shamanic Jeremy day um, helping you train hunt and live the best life possible but uh hey uh, we're getting over uh, the uh, maybe maybe you're coming over a, a little uh, sugar rush there Jeremy this is uh, as we record this it's the day uh-huh. after um, all Hallows Eve. It's all day after Halloween. It's a very exciting moment for the kiddos. Um, but I was I was thinking about you, Jeremy, because you know we live. You know I live right in the burbs, and there's neighborhood kids everywhere, right by an elementary school. I mean, we cover two or three blocks, and the kids got you know a big old bundle of of goodies. Um, but you, on the other hand, uh, you can't do that. You know, you're a little bit more spaced out. But what's is Halloween a bit of a pain for you? I mean, because Or do you even do it because of of where you're situated?
1: No. So what we do is we go, I pick up Titus from school, which he's in downtown, Mm. um, Gig Harbor. And then what I do is they have a big event there. And all the shops in downtown, um, they shut the whole street off. And then kids could go trick-or-treat each way. And I was um, my daughter was talking to one of the store owners, and they said they go through about – two to three thousand pieces of candy a year is what they hand out so there's probably i don't know if you when you look at it it's pretty impressive the whole you know all two the two lanes and then the parking and all that's completely full of kids it's at any given time i bet you there's Twelve hundred to fifteen hundred people down there.
0: <laughs> well, that that's you know, Dupont does a similar thing. Uh, we didn't do that, um, but from like three to five, they have like a pre thank they have like a pre I was going to say Thanksgiving, uh, they have like a <laughs> they have a pre Halloween you know come out to the business thing, and um, they they'll do something similar. That's pretty cool, man. So, um, does he meet up with um any of the his gig harbor? uh any of his uh his buddies from school and I guess you all just mingle because I'll tell you what I enjoy. Like even last night, you know, a little little um, you know, wild game diplomacy, to be honest with you. I was talking with the you know, for the first year we had the kids wanted to split up. Mason uh-huh. wanted to go with his friend and Charlie and Lucy wanted to go with their friend. So I went with Mason and uh we actually split the families up for the first time, which was interesting. But the cool oh. part the cool part cool part when I did it was you know, just talking with other parents who I normally don't get to spend time with. Um, come to find out, Mason's uh, best friend's dad, he used to used to be a bow hunter, and he got out of it the last few years. And, really? Why uh, is that? I don't know. But he got to talking to me, because I guess I was wearing, um, you know, I wear my Rocky Mountain Elk cat out, and I had on um, a little Kuyu rain gear, just to keep the wind off me, and uh he goes, Is that a hunting jacket? I'm like, yeah. He goes, uh, you get out much? And I'm like, you know, when I can, you know, I do what I can. He goes, what about this year? I told him about your bowl and showed him some pictures and talking about how you know there's there's options for what's going on and um, even in that you know there's an opportunity just to talk hunting and get more people into the fold. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I like I like that you know as your kids get older though I I like the banter and, and you know the, Halloween can be a pain in the butt between the candy and the outfits and and whatnot. But I think it's cool to get out of your front door, especially the suburbs are interesting now. And, you know, I can remember being a kid and having, like, little block parties in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. And I can remember, like when I'd be in elementary school doing fundraisers and I can distinctly remember knocking on people's doors and they'd be like, are you one of the, are you, are you the new crop of shamanic kid? And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm Joe's kid. And and they're like, Oh man, another one. And, uh, you know, we they knew each other. People talked more. And, and I, I, I think Halloween's an opportunity to get back to that, to be honest with you. Cause, um, you know, I, I checked in with a couple neighbors, you know, obviously had this conversation um, with uh, my uh son's best friend's dad but you know at least it's a moment that kind of reminds me of the good old days i guess where people had their front doors unlocked and and you could get out and just mingle
1: about yeah and those i remember those days man where the whole i mean you see it in some of the older movies even um say like the movie halloween it's kid friendly right yeah <laughs> no I'm just kidding you. yeah oh <laughs> sure what version you are you watching <laughs> You watch, uh, you watch these movies, and it shows the kids in the streets and everybody having a fun time. And, mm-hmm. and you know, with my older son and even my daughter, those days were kind of over where you'd go and half of the lights are shut off because they don't want you to show up in those subdivisions. And, and now I think there's a new movement with families, I think, that if I don't know if you've noticed this, but families are getting big again. Like a lot of my friends, they have not – Two kids, not three kids, but five kids. Ooh. I have like three or four friends that are that way.
0: You, you're um, hanging out with a bunch of Mormons.
1: I know. Well, we're Catholic <laughs> too, right? So, That's right. <laughs> same yeah. thing. That's right. But even outside of that realm, I've noticed on my travels that a lot of the families, you know, in the airports, they're a lot bigger now. Sure. And um, but I think they're getting more to that more family type culture, which is. This trick-or-treating where the, the um, subdivisions will have multiple houses everybody's getting into it they have contests and I've been hearing a lot more about that lately oh uh, cool it's kind of exciting
0: well and that, you bring it up too I was even I said it to my wife and I said it to every party that we kind of bumped into who we were friends with I I thought participation amongst amongst the homes was like 50 percent even where we are and um it was it was a little interesting. It was a little a little little disappointing. But the other thing that I noticed, it's an interesting trend that wasn't going on when I was a kid, was this trunk or treat situation. Have oh you,
1: yeah, that is really popular.
0: Yeah, where folks were, and then and actually, it seems pretty cool where you just okay, everyone who wants to trick or treat, let's meet in the parking lot, decorate your trunk, and we'll just walk around and have a. Have a party, you know what I mean? I think I think that's a that's another interesting uh, route, it's
1: like a tailgate party, right? Yeah, and
0: I guess some folks, yeah, some folks, you some of them will get they'll decorate the car or make like a haunted car or something or whatnot. But you know, you see you see these all around, and um, right. I guess that's an alternative if your neighborhood you don't think it's the safest place, right? But
1: um <laughs> yeah, exactly. and they'll
0: they'll do some of that stuff. But nah, Halloween is what it is. Um, it it should be fun and um even even in my health class i was trying to let the kids know that you know it's not bad to go out and get candy it's not even go it's not even bad to eat the candy what what i was trying to tell my health classes and my own kids is that what's really bad is to just dive into it with reckless abandon and not have any thought to it um i came across a a cool i came across like a research article where this old girl from Alabama public health officer um she did a little study and she, she tried to figure out how much candy the average kid uh picks up in a night. Do you know what her you know what her findings were? No. It's in, in terms of calories. Take a guess. If oh, you calories. if you could if you um, could make a range between how many calories are in a kid's um uh in a kid's Halloween bundle at the end of the night, what what do you think it is?
1: Thirty two thousand.
0: A little high. Little high, oh okay, <laughs> <laughs> way high. That's oh, okay. I guess it's
1: only about no half, I would say um, thirty-two
0: hundred. Okay, you're close. You're you've you've hit the range on the low end. So on the low end, it's thirty-five hundred, and on the high end, um, it could be about seven thousand, and that's the average. And I'm not exactly sure of how she did it, but I thought the number was pretty good. But um, so what I had done with my little health class was, I told them that figure and they said okay well here's another chart and on this other chart was a list of exercises and how many calories you burn in an hour of doing that and uh, for example like if you box competitively for an hour it's like 700 calories you know if you if you ride your bike at a certain intensity it was like 400 calories and then all I made the kids do then was okay let's You pick a number between 3,500 and 7,000. That's how many calories are in your bag. And then what you have to do is pick three exercises off this list and determine um, how much effort it's going to take to burn your extra calories off. And then the other little thing I put on the assignment was, well, here's the other thing. You're burning extra calories, and this is extra food. So you can only train in your extra time. And most adults only have... Three days a week for one hour to train extra. So after you calculate how many hours you have to train, you then have to go backwards and see how many weeks it'll take you extra to burn it off. And the, ki- the kids were pretty amazed. You know, the kids were like, oh, I, want seven- I want all the candy, right? So then they found out that, you know, for example, the boxing was the easiest one. If you only box to burn off the extra calories, they found out if they consumed the 7,000 calories of candy they then had to do 10 hours of competitive boxing in their spare time. And then you work backwards, that's over three weeks of training in their extra time. So it it was cool to watch the light bulbs go off and be like, okay, maybe maybe moderation's the key here. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> that's a
1: neat little thing, dude.
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a good – you know, I was like, man, how can I like, – because here's my thing, too, as a health teacher. Like, I don't want to ruin the event for them because I went right. out and did it. I'm going to be out with my kid, but – Okay, how do I structure this in a way to just make them aware that you can have fun, but there is just a give and a take. There is a consequence. There is an action reaction to everything you do, and uh, I, th- I think it hit home with a couple kids. And um, and honestly, to be honest, you know, um, I was I was you know I was in Halloween mode too, right? So I kind of just did the quick presentation, and I set them on their way, I played Halloween music, and I let them go off in it. And the the, the other thing I did with that little um that little lesson I started it off with a quick three minute video I was like look guys my goal was for you to be thoughtful in your candy consumption so um, to show them the opposite of thoughtful I showed them the clip of uh, uh, you seen Willy Wonka in a chocolate factory oh yeah you know when that little German boy falls in the creek
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah I showed him that,
0: that clip you know you could be like Gustav <laughs> here you know and eat unthoughtfully and end up in the incinerator room You know what I mean? Or, you know what (laughs) I mean? Just understand what you're doing, buddy. You know, have a good time with it. So hopefully you guys had a good Halloween. Um, You know, hopefully, and I'll be honest, these these holidays can be a pain sometimes. But it's, once you get into it, it's fun watching the kids have a good time.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. What we do to combat the uh, calorie intake on the candy with our kids is we have a buyback program. Oh, yeah? What's
0: that? Well, what, what's, <laughs> a, what's a what's a snacky Snickers bar go, come back for in the day? So house? we
1: usually give them like five or ten bucks for all their candy. They get to choose their – I think she said – I think Michelle has them choose their ten favorite ones, and then they can keep those. Nice. And then we get rid of the other candy. Yeah, we're going to do something similar, in fact. And um, she's been doing that for – Gosh, dude, probably 15 years.
0: Yeah, the kids are getting old enough where they can track it, right? And, um, but I saw Eliza, she's already done it. She's done this a few years. She just, you know, we'll let the kids grab their, grab a couple things, um, in the evening before, and, but, what we do is we'll slowly purge their bags, and she just takes the candy into work and throws it in. Oh, the, there you go. She just throws it in the dish for um, you know, because she's at the hospital, right? So she just right. they will throw it in the dish at the welcome area. But uh, you know, <laughs> spread the love, have a good time, guys. Just uh, again, have the kids just be thoughtful in it. Um, and and I think you'll be okay. Any good? Well, do you have a good costume last night? You saw?
1: Oh, what did I see? You know there. It was amazing how many hunters I seen last night. Oh, really? I seen probably 10 to 15 families that were dressed up as hunters. They're all in camel, every one of them, which I thought was pretty interesting because in the previous, gosh, we've been going there 10 years, I haven't seen that.
0: Oh, very cool.
1: It's usually one or two people dressed up as a hunter.
0: Okay. Were they big big bearded, kind of mimicking the Duck Dynasty boys? No, no,
1: no, they were just uh, your average Joes, right? Okay, cool. And then, so what was the best costume? I didn't really see one that stood out yesterday, but then I kind of, I was walking around with a buddy from the school, and uh, we ended up BSing so much, and sometimes when I do that, I, you know, you know me, I kind of get into it, so... I didn't really pay attention around me much.
0: I hear you. <laughs> Just another observation as we close out this Halloween talk is uh, kids today seem less willing to do homemade costumes. No, oh, I know. They're all bought, right?
1: Everything. Well, it's so cheap. Yeah. What did we spend? 12 bucks, And we got, and Titus was a, you know Alaska Airlines pilot. Oh, there you go fired up
0: <laughs> a little how about that for alaskan airlines put out a little cheap costume you know a little extra <laughs> revenue stream and then also advertising there you go well no
1: it was it, he it was just a pilot but everybody had asked him and goes what kind of pilot are you and he's like alaska alaska airlines <laughs> oh he made the distinction
0: <laughs> there was actually a little girl who made her halloween costumes uh, the one mom up the road she decided to make them all and she did an aviation theme and um I it was the funniest thing. I asked this little 5-year-old girl, I'm like, "What are you for Halloween, a pilot?" And she goes, "No, I'm Amelia Earhart." And uh I, I was like, "Oh, okay. She is a pilot, you know." And she's like, she looked at her mother. And I was like, it was cool, so um yeah, there were some good stuff. That was my favorite costume, just in, in just a little girl's response. So um hopefully it worked out for. Her. But
1: um you know, as we... Yeah, I wish they, people would make costumes again. I mean, that was pretty cool back in the day when everybody – I mean, I remember my mom was like, you're going as a ghost. I was like, man, I've been going as a ghost for five years. Yeah. Because just throw the, you know, the sheet over the head, the hole. And...
0: Yeah, Mom, this ghost is turning yellow. What's up?
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's going on over here? But um. Yeah, I remember, though, when I was younger, so I, I have to throw this out there. My favorite costume when I was younger – I was Gene Simmons from Kiss and I think I was Oh wow. I think I was him for 2 or 3 years from like 6 to 9. I loved that band.
0: Okay, that kind
1: of dates me a little bit right there. But
0: I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. That that's that sounds like a great Halloween band and song.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What was your favorite costume that when you were a kid that you were? (gasps) You know what I
0: always did was be a football player because I had football pads and that was just easy. Um, And one year, rather than just be a football player, um, I got some face paint and my uncle found this face paint that was kind of like like kind of bloody warts kind of uh-huh. thing. And he went all out. He goes, I want to try this. You want to try this? And it was like, you know, it kind of felt like a Hollywood thing where you put the plastic thing on your face and then paint over it and whatever. So I, I kind of combined uh, my football outfit um, with this kind of... Warty zombie paint and was like this um football player zombie and it got and i think people were like oh that's cool you combine two things and it was a little creative so um that that, is cool that i yeah that was that was a cool one that was a fun one to do so um little little store-bought stuff with some with some face paint and then uh and then uh combining it with the football uniform and kind of wearing some tattered stuff kind of it was cool i remember that one uh Thank you for asking that question. That was, a, <laughs> I remember. Yeah, people. The paint was cool. I wish I had a picture of it. I don't know where that would be, but um.
1: I know. I was just thinking that. I was like, I know. I have a picture of me in my Gene Simmons costume because I can vividly <laughs> see it in my head. I would.
0: Yeah, I'd like to see you do that now. You could get the, uh, you know, you could get the big old boots. You could pull that off now.
1: Heck yeah! Stick you stick out my tongue. All. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well.
0: Well, you know, as we talk about, um, you we are going to get into some hunting stuff today because, you know, <laughs> along with the purchasing of Halloween costumes, you know, the other research I've been doing, uh, you know, getting ready for late season hunting, um, I'm realizing that, um, it's a, it's not going to be the same kind of, uh, you know, chat with the critter, find them, you know, it seems like the late season game is a lot more spot and stock and especially out where we are, if, you know, especially if, especially if the idea is to chase mule deer in some bigger spots. Um, and even if it is sitting on clear cuts, you know, looking for elk that are maybe migrating to towards sanctuaries or, um, you know, catching them on the move as, as they're looking for feed before winter hits, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glass inadequate, Jeremy. So I've been, uh, I've been looking into uh, a set of binos. Um, I got, I got a little bit of jingle in my pocket. I've established a decent little budget, and um, um, I've, I've been doing some research. And uh, uh, before we get into the specifics of it, you know, is is from your experience, is there a more of a need for binos, uh, late season, early season, or, or am I just talking out of my ass?
1: no i think i think you're hitting it i mean i don't use my i've been blessed with good eyesight but with that you know you have your positive your negative but i can't hear worth a damn so i've always relied on my eyes and as i get older i can't rely on on them as much so i think it was three years ago i went to go hunt on pat corcoran's um property of whom we've had on the show here um doing some whitetail hunting and he's like, you you should probably bring some binoculars. And so I borrowed a pair from Dave and I went out there and I used those binoculars and then I'm seeing antlers and I'm seeing things that I can't see with my naked eye. Sure. And that was kind of a game changer because prior to that, Joe, I only, I probably hadn't worn binoculars for six years Hmm. that I didn't use them. Okay. And now I use them all the time. So. He kind of put a spark in me to start using them after I was out there and saw so much activity with the binos that I couldn't see with my naked eye. And that was only about 80 yards out to 100.
0: Yeah. And even this year, you know, when I don't know how you did it, but at that that, that second to last day, early season elk, when we were in that really pretty valley and we were just looking up at the side of that mountain. And it was so funny to me as we, we sat there, you know, we sat there for a good bit watching and seeing and calling and hoping for the best. And as we got up to move, you were like, oh, shit, there's an elk. And the way you said it, no binos on. I was like, oh, okay, it's got to be relatively close. And then finally, you know, it took me six or seven minutes to find the damn elk, and you had your binos out to to then get a better look at it. But that damn thing was far away. <laughs> I mean, we did the math. It was a 1,000 feet up. And as the crow flies, um, 900 yards away and above us. And I was amazed at you, um, that for one picked it out. You saw it's, I, th- I guess you, it's tan ass just hit the light in the right way as the day was fading. Um, but then I was also amazed equally about how, when we did get a decent set of binos on it, how, how much clearer it looked. Um, yeah. And even if you have a decent set of binos, and at that point I had my rangefinder, um, and just just the quality you get out of a decent set of binos, and even just how much easier it is with a decent set of binos to hold, to uh, hold and locate, and, and even just manage your own movement, I, I was pretty amazed by it, and uh, that it got me thinking a little bit, man. Maybe maybe this year's purchase before late season, um, you know, because my little routine is before every season i like to get something a little bit new you know what i mean i uh, <laughs> just got to do it right so I, I thought you know what i think i need to get the binos going so yeah and
1: i, I think they're I, I used them a couple of years ago when i was in the back country in oregon and, and uh and i think we've talked about this on the podcast in the past but we were in there for five or six days and my brother-in-laws, they're used to using binos and I, you know, I was always relying on my naked eye and I was out there looking for our, they'd see stuff and I wouldn't see it. And you, you, you almost have to train your eyes to look through them too, to find the deer. I mean, it's kind of a little different. I, I, I can't explain how, how much better the binos made it, but after, towards the end of the trip, then my eyes were adjusting and then I was able to find animals left and right. But it was pretty amazing how well they blended in and a lot. So I and then I start thinking, well, geez, how many animals have I gone walked right by in my lifetime, right? Yeah. Because I wasn't using binos in those particular incidents.
0: So so that's where we sit. So we're gonna um what I want to do, I thought it'd be cool to kind of just go through what I've learned about binos and and just talk about some of those things in case maybe some of you guys are in the same boat and it'd be cool if you are Um, you know, reach out, let us know if we've hit, hit or missed a mark here. And, um, you know, if there's any experiences that, that you can relate to in terms of considering a pair, um, you know, that'd be cool. Um, the, the first thing that I picked up, you know, if you look, you know, hunting binoculars are different than maybe, um, old school binoculars that maybe your, your grandfather would have wore or, or used because, um, you know, obviously, with hunting, you're you're going to probably beat them up. You're in and out of some tough terrain. You know, you're falling down a bit. So, um, I think making the distinction between you know hunting binoculars versus just your normal knocks are, are I think are I think it's super important. So, um, make sure I'm saying uh, get one that's durable. I mean, the first thing that I'm looking for when I'm buying these binoculars is kind of the same way I bought my bow, like. I don't want to buy this many times. I don't see myself going in and out of many sets of binoculars, and, including because, to be honest, I don't use them too often. And um, But so to be perfectly honest, I've cut out any brand that doesn't offer a lifetime warranty, to be perfectly yeah. honest. It seems like this is something that, you know, let's say I'm in a stand or I'm climbing a mountain, you know you know i know there's a tommy boy quote you know i could put you know i could take a shit in a box and write a guarantee on it but you still got this but <laughs> yeah. but but on the <laughs> but on the other side of that quote if a company's willing to say lifetime warranty no matter what i also wouldn't say that if i wasn't trying to make a good product
1: exactly i mean when you make a statement like that then you have to live by it so if you're Manufacturing a crappy product and you stamp a lifetime warranty, an unconditional lifetime warranty, and you're just sitting out there putting, you know, for every hundred you're sending a fifty back out, you just lose money. So, yeah. you, when you make a bold statement like that, it's uh, it says something about your quality.
0: So, so that's the route I'm I'm most likely going to go. Um, I said I, I would I would do your research on that, you know, and and two like. You know, the other thing, just like kind of buying a bow, we talked about this as we started this project was, you know, put your budget into consideration. And and there are some things you can do, um, budget wise, but, you know, just, I guess also understand that there's a little tiny factors that, you know, as you go up in budget, because you are talking about lenses and coatings and, and, you know, precision, um, precision build outs, like things just get expensive, um, as things go but there's a couple things that i learned um you know there's all these numbers with these binoculars do you know what these numbers mean jeremy yeah
1: Yeah, a little bit yeah so the first number is the magnification of how close you want it so it's if it's a 20 by 42 the 20 is that it brings it 20 times closer to you
0: perfect yep so i figured that i had no idea i'm like okay 10 this 10 that 10 by whatever so uh also with with that and I kind of experienced this kind of with my rangefinder the situation and you have all probably experienced this even with your iPhone like the more you magnify something the trade off there is the ability to hold onto it or the fact that every little movement that you make is then also magnified if that makes any sense. So what you end up finding that yeah, if you have a set of binos that might be on the cheaper end that gets you out to you know, times twelve, but they don't give you the ability to stabilize that image, if that makes sense. So um, just be wary of that. So I think they say for hunting applications, you know, they recommend eight to ten. Um, but if you are going to be more especially if you're going to be using these binos in your hands. They recommend that just because, you know, you move more than you think you will, and that movement could end up really, for one, fatiguing your eye and then also giving you a headache because it's so dang shaky. It's like it's like kind of watching a shaky, you know, like the Blair Witch movie? Did you ever see that flick? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, a long time ago. When that first film came out, that was one of the first versions where they kind of shot with a handheld camera and people were getting sick watching it. So if you have over magnification in kind of a bino that doesn't stabilize really well, you can, you can ultimately, you know, uh, burn your eyesight up and give yourself a headache. So what, what have you, what, what do you know where, where your, where your binos stand? Because I thought the magnification was pretty good and clear at the, at the back end.
1: Yeah. Mine were the 10 by 42s.
0: 10 by 42.
1: Yeah. It's yes. Cause I found that, you know, I did a lot of research prior to getting my binos, and that was um, it. gave it gave a good field of view, and then it also brought you in um, comparable. And then there's weight and size, and all these other things, and that just seemed like a, a good size. And I have the Monarch sevens.
0: Well, and and that's the other thing. So the the more you can magnify, they get there, you know, by bigger lenses, right? So. You know, you are going to get some weight on. Um, What do you know what the weight disparity is in most cases? I don't have any chart in front of me, but you can see that as a consideration. Uh, But I I don't imagine most hunting binos aren't super heavy.
1: No, I'm going to try to pull it up here. Yeah, see if you can
0: pull, maybe we can pull up some weight things. But, you know, the weight thing's always an interesting consideration. You know, do you really feel the four ounces?
1: Yeah, no, you don't. In an
0: extra, you know, I don't know, you know, but then again, you can also say if, if your binos are at extra four ounces, then your pack's got an extra, you know, an extra pound and then, you know, uh, then you throw an extra this and that, and then, you know, it's, it's a, you know, could weigh you down by a thousand ounces too. So you can also make right. that consideration.
1: So the weight on these Monarch sevens are twenty three point six ounces, so just about a pound and a half.
0: Okay, not so bad. Well, cool. No, and you, but you've had you've had good success with just a a, a ten magnification.
1: Yeah, I've had great success. I tried the, you know, I tested out the twelve by forty two, and it just seemed like it was too much for me. Um, and there's only a couple manufacturers at the time when I was doing the binocular deal that made the 12 by 42s cause they were kind of relatively new. And I think Leopold was one and, um, gosh, I can't remember who the other one was. Yeah. Well, but anyway,
0: even, you know, you, you look at like a, you look at like a vortex optics. They seem to have a lot of options with certain, cert, certain lines that they'll go through everything mm-hmm. where they'll go, th- they'll go from, they seem to go from eight to 12, on a lot of their hunting binocular models, but then also even within that, they'll go from you know forty-two up to fifty. So you can mix and match a couple different things. And you know, I'm just wondering that I'm glad you said that. So in your mind, you know, you know, I'm considering whether I'm going to ten or twelve magnification if it's a big difference. When you did, when you did glass into a set of uh, twelve magnifying uh, binos, there was a noticeable difference that you didn't much appreciate.
1: Yeah, it was that um, what you were saying and I never even thought about or heard about the the movement thing. It just seemed like you couldn't, it wasn't steady enough.
0: Yeah, and and that's what they do recommend. So um, in my research coming across that, if you are going to go, uh, the, the place for something that can magnify over 10 would be, and this is where you'd want to consider how you're going to use your binoculars. Where they really come into play is if you're going to maybe settle in and glass on a hillside and go with a tripod. So if yeah. if you're going to have something external to help you stabilize that, you can go with it. But you know, if you find yourself, you know, if you're going to be squirrel hunting and you're going to be chasing deer and you're going to be on the move, and you find yourself that hey, I'm going to be using my hands. They definitely don't recommend going um, over ten in terms of your magnification, just because you know everyone thinks they're still. But you're not, you know what no. I mean. And then you can imagine if you if you compound your movement, you know, ten times on the back end, you know, it's it's just like you know. The, I think the best way to get a sense for that would be grab your iPhone, um, look at something about a hundred yards away, and then uh, zoom in as much as you can, and just see how well you can um, hold on to that image. You'll you'd be surprised at how shaky you are.
1: Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and especially after, you know, 30 seconds is when it starts to really go. I, a lot of times I'll just, you, and you'll see it on hunting videos, I'll pull my bow up and just use my bow as a stabilizer when I pinpoint something that I want to, you know, because where it really comes into play, it's not seeing the animal, it's actually seeing or depicting the antlers and. And if you're in a unit where you have to have three pointer better, then you have to make sure it's got three points. And that's when it comes into play is when you're trying to um, get into that finer view, right, or picture, or I don't know what the term would be. But well, and that's that's where it a would clearer have been. view.
0: That's what would have been really cool because even that elk that we did pick out from pretty far away, um, the one thing we couldn't tell, and, and one of the reasons we didn't go after it, we you know we were in, we were in the 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 end of our hunt and we were in a three-point unit and we were like we couldn't the way it was feeding and the way it was moving around we could just never get a clear shot of the headgear and it just was it was it was not enough information that late in the day to make that hard of a push at a critter and then it, it also wasn't enough information for us to change the game plan that we had set up in camp that morning before for the last day so you know you know it there it is. And and, and again, that, that would make you consider, you know, is it, you know, but but again, is the trade-off worth it? Because when you go with that 12 magnification, you know, are you going to want to stop and get the tripod out every time? You know, are you going to want to carry the extra weight? You know, do you want to spend the extra money? Even looking at like a, the Vortex site, I think when you go from 10 to 12, you know, that's an extra $80, you know? Right, exactly. And, and that, might, that might, for some folks, bust the budget. And then to be honest, death by a thousand dollars oh i'll get this option i get that option all of a sudden you know you find a model of binos you want to spend 400 dollars on but then all of a sudden you do this that the other thing and then you're walking out the door doubled it up because you got to get you got to get the tripod you got to get the tripod adopt adapter oh sure i'll go up just you know i'll go up one more magnification it adds up pretty quick you know what i mean so um consider it but you know, maybe the key there is you have one guy in camp who's got the nice scope, and the other guy in camp who's got the the quick the quick um general use binos to to, yeah. to glass up <laughs> big areas, right? There you go. But I, I mean I could imagine um I could imagine if you pack your pack with glass, I mean between a spotting scope, tripod, good set of binos, and a range finder, dang it, you're 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 packing heavy. You know what I mean? So um
1: oh but- for sure because. Yeah, it, it can, you can be packing an extra six, eight, ten pounds.
0: Yeah, and you look like a, and you kind of look like a universal soldier, right? Um, so, <laughs> you know, you know I, I, I'd like to keep things a little bit more kind of streamlined and, you know, hope for the best. And that's where it puts me. I think I'll probably follow suit with most hunting practices and, and go with that ten magnification. For It seems like between price, you know, general utility and durability, you, you get the best of both worlds. And, you know um so that's my recommendation but man if you if you think you're a guy who's just going to sit down and load up the tripod and just spend a day on a knob you know you you might want to go a little bit above um so the other number to consider is that second one and uh that one that that second number uh the magnification you know that thing is going to give you the number excuse me the second number the objective diameter that's going to, what I've come across, that gives you the clarity or how much light brings in or, or how sharp the image is going to be. So you, and, and again, most hunting applications recommend um, 42. And what I've come across is, you know, once you get above 42, they just get a, a good bit heavier. Um, and, and and you've had good experience using just that 40, that, that objective diameter of 42, Jeremy?
1: Yeah, I've had great Success with it. I mean, I've been able to see the animals. Like I said, when it gets way out there, like that one that we've seen that you are talking about earlier, yeah. is that and with the spotting scope, we would have been able to tell exactly what he, everything that he had, all the junk on his head and all that stuff. But it with the binos, the, you know, the idea is kind of close range, you know, a thousand feet or whatever. and um, And even a little bit beyond and it's just to kind of get that that field of view, right? When you get further out than that, then that's when you kind of want to get a spotting scope.
0: Yeah, and some of the spotting scopes seem pretty pretty amazing and pretty high-end and what you can do, but the idea of, um, you know, they're just, they take more time to set up, right, with the spotting scope, again, because they magnify so much more. You have to set up the tripod, do certain things. It's, you know, it's not like Captain Hook on the, you know, the front of his boat, just <clears throat> zapping that thing out and you know looking at the horizon for something <laughs> yeah right? exactly i mean anymore now i mean it's it's just it seems like that kind of spotting is a slow game and um you know what i've and again you know most of my hunting experience now is early season stuff where you're slugging it through the woods and um but now it seems like with this late season kind of spotting game it's like okay find a good vantage point and take your time and pick it apart Um, And and what I've come across is even guys who do that, they they'll generally start with binos and see something and then pull the spotting scope out to maybe really pick apart an area. Um, But but you were in the market for a spotting scope this year and um, I didn't see it in your pack. Um, So is there anything that um, you learned about spotting scope use or or what what swayed you to not to not uh, pull the trigger on that this year?
1: Well, the reason why I didn't in the early season is because uh, I we picked an area that just really there's no reason to have a spotting scope ninety eight percent of the time, just because of how dense it is and then we're hunting clear cuts and then the forest, you know it's it's a big timbered area. So I'm like, oh man, do I want to spend the money now or should I hold off and um, and then just wait. And I decided to wait because I just didn't want to spend the money. Cool. And we weren't going to, and I just frankly wasn't going to use it. Sure. In that area. Yeah. So but with this late season, um, going in for the mule deer, I'm debating on getting one again because a lot of that's more open country. It's, it's on the east side of the mountains. So it would behoove me to have one because that's going to be more of a spot in stock, sit and wait, kind of watch, movement and pattern. and you know the deer and everything and with the spotting scope that's that's the beauty of it plus you can record it and watch it you know and zoom in and all that kind of stuff so when you're in the more open countries it's it's really nice to have a spotting scope because we didn't have one in um when we were in that Oregon hunt and I think if we would have used one we would have a couple of the elk that we seen, we would have probably moved in on kind of the same situation as our that elk we seen,
0: yeah, is it worth it right you yeah. know, without knowing what you're getting into and you know and, and i was i was to be honest, I was really surprised at the size of that elk that we saw because he was obviously a big animal i mean body wise he was big and it stood out and again a thousand feet above us, nine hundred yards away, we saw it, and yeah we saw we saw it with the naked eye but Dang it if we couldn't see I mean, I was really surprised. Even getting a good look at him um with my finder and, and your binoculars, it was like, man, how the hell can't we see his head? You know, so, you know what I mean? So you know, that's the one thing. I mean, to be honest, that's where I'm 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 definitely considering going with uh there's a there's a um vortex Viper model where they you can get the ten magnification um with the 50 objective diameter and getting, getting that, it it seems to me like there's where weight would be worth it because, you know, at that spec, you know, I could get the benefit of a more stable image on the back end. But, um, with that objective diameter, you do get a little bit more brightness. You do get a little bit more sharpness. So, um, I'll, I'll be honest, that, that, that's a route in particular that, that, that I'm thinking, um, uh, with the spotting scope, and it seems like it seems like with the spotting scope, at least in terms of you know when you hear you know binoculars, you got you know eight by thirty two, ten by forty two, twelve by fifty. You know the spotting scope follows a different track; just the numbers are bigger. Um, but with with consideration there, though, it's just like you know that one really has to be a weight thing because I guess depending on how big you're going to get, you can get a dang spotting scope that could be up to to seven pounds um oh yeah absolutely um how big were you thinking i mean when when you were even entertaining the idea as you entertain it now what's on
1: what well you- i was looking at the vortex um which one was it i think it was just the diamond back because or the razor no it wasn't the razor hold
0: on oh is this the spotting scope
1: yeah this is the spotting scope I was gonna do the Diamondback because it had it was really lightweight. It was the uh, Diamondback twenty by sixty by sixty angled, and um, let's see, its weight is less than or just right at two pounds. Hmm. And
0: and but, I and I got one question for Vortex and some of these guys who because Vortex had a model where it was like a bino and rangefinder together. I guess my question is why and, and I don't know enough about it to even answer it and, and I don't know if you do either but if you, you know you know you can pick up a relatively affordable rangefinder um, but then when you put the rangefinder in the bino it seems to almost double the price of the binocular so I, I, I'm I'm wondering what is it that makes it so costly to throw that laser into the binocular
1: yeah, no, that's that, that would be interesting.
0: Just putting that out there, folks. Maybe, maybe if anyone from Vortex or <laughs> Leopold or, or one of these German manufacturers is doing something, yeah, put it out there. But uh, didn't mean to break your train of thought on that, Jeremy. That's all right. But um, the, so the so the spotting scope. So you're also looking for a lighter lighter situation.
1: I'm looking for a lighter situation, and I don't need you know I don't need to spend two thousand bucks or three thousand dollars on the on something that I'm gonna use five to five times a year maybe yeah ten times or days five what? or ten days a year and, and maybe if I got one I might end up using you know do more of that type of hunting I don't know
0: yeah so would you also uh, you're also going to be considering the other components you know tripod case things like that to keep it safe
1: yeah exactly And I, and I just bought a vortex tripod this year for the camera which I never used because I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I planned on recording a bunch of videos this year, and I didn't even pull it out. <laughs> I hear you.
0: Ain't, ain't that the way? You know, and yeah. then that's also the hurt with this, you know, because when you're immersed in the research, you know, that's what's funny about the research about doing something new like this. Like, yeah, you get immersed in the research, and it's really cool, and you dig into it, and then when you get it, it's funny how you just kind of fall back into your old hunting routines, right? So yeah, exactly. so so I wonder if when you make this, you know, in a way, this is one of the reasons I went with the bow I went with. So, you know, my thought was if I get a cheap bow, you know, I'll probably not be invested in it as much and I won't use it as much, right? So I got the bow I wanted and it forced me into the situation where, okay, now let's put the practice into it, this, that, and the other thing and, and get it going. And I And I wonder playing the same game with, with the optics, if you're that into it, you know what I mean? Okay, if, if I'm really going to consider changing my style of hunting, I'd want to enjoy it, right, and, and make sure I do it right, and, and have a good product, because that's the other thing with some of these, you know, the, the, the better products also have a way of seemingly being more enjoyable, Especially in this instance, where you know there's a good weight to it, there's a good feel to it in your hand, you know, um, you like the way it looks, the design's nice, and and then it does its job really well. So, it's just something also to to consider. You should, as much as you want it to do its job, there should be a level of it where you should like the dang thing, yeah,
1: exactly. It's got to be, gotta be cool to yourself, yeah, yeah,
0: so it's something to consider um
1: especially when you spend that much money right it's like yeah. you have to justify the ROI on it and if we if we hunted more which i think next year we're i think we're dabbling with hunting in um Oregon and if we do that i'll definitely buy a spotting scope i mean there's no ifs ands or buts
0: yeah i'm definitely thinking Oregon and again that's another thing where i'm caught the only thing i'm really caught in is <clears throat> is is the 12 magnification worth it? Because what I'm thinking is if I... I don't see myself just pulling out binos and um, I don't see them just pulling them out and freehanding them. You know, I, I really feel like if I'm going to use a set, I'm going to sit down and pick apart something, if that makes sense. So I'm on the fence between going with a 10 or a 12 magnification. But I think where I'm definitely... Going to sit is 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 going with this uh, this sharper image with the the objective view of, of fifty. So, um,
1: well, go down to um, Sportco and they have all the Vortex there.
0: Oh, you yeah. can actually te- you can test them out. They'll
1: they'll they'll let you test them out. They'll, there's actually a hillside that's way the hell out there, and that's where I practiced and used mine and made oh. my decision on mine. But and then they have you know six different manufacturers, and they're pretty good.
0: Well, I ain't gonna lie to you. So, and that's that. You bring up a cool point. That's the one good thing about a spot like Sportco or any, you know, small bow shop or whatnot. You know, it's cool to actually put it in your hand and see if you like it. Um, yeah. And you know, I'll probably definitely make the purchase online because, um, you know, I have access to, I have access to, um, you know, talk about making things affordable. You know, there's a. Have you heard of experticity?
1: Uh. Uh-uh.
0: It's a it's a cool website where um you know you can lend some reviews and it's a bit of a membership site but with certain places and certain folks like um for example you can get like forty percent off on certain um, certain models of the the Vortex binoculars and spotting scopes and stuff so and it's called what it's at Experticity. experticity. So what ends up happening is you know. If, you know, trading in reviews, and if you're somebody, for example, if you're, if, you're, um, if you're a tactical athlete, or, you know, if you're a soldier, or if you're an uh, emergency provider, if you're somebody who will use this and be able to lend, like, really good reviews, it's, it's really just trying to be a marketplace for folks who actually um, are experts in their field. So, um, through that, you know, you can actually make something relatively affordable, um, and, and knock a couple hundred bucks off of it, especially when you're talking about something high end like like binos or a um binos or or a spotting scope. Um, so and and actually, I found out through the site because you know my wife's active duty and you know she's got some buddies um, who I'm friends with and just get to talking to them and into similar things and turn me on to it. So, anyone out there looking. Um, you know, aside from aside from like following holiday deals and listening to podcasts that promote certain things, uh, you know, that experticity is another place where you could, you know, save money on on, on a good bit of stuff, especially stuff that's hunting or tactical tactically related.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I'm on it right now. I guess yeah, you have to have a group code.
0: Yeah. So and maybe
1: not. Unless it's optional.
0: Yeah, there there's a there's an application process. So <clears throat> okay. whether whether certain jobs or certain uh, employers may do it for you, and you just have a code that you use to sign in. Or anyone can apply personally, and um, depending on what you do and um, how you fill out your application, and um, you know you you can uh, you can do pretty good there. But uh, no, man, it's it's an important piece of gear. Uh, it seems like it seems like it's something to do. And then the other consideration I wanted to ask you, Jeremy, in terms of um, again. We buy something cool, we buy something that's going to be useful, at least in terms of... Let's keep this one in terms of just the the, the binos. Uh, the bino harness is interesting, because in a quick pinch, you do want to get access to it quick, and you want this nice little chest harness, but you also want something that is going to give enough protection to the device. Um, to So you don't have to keep engaging the manufacturer and the warranty, because you, you keep tripping and falling and breaking it. But... Uh, you know when when you buy a a bino harness you know again i would rather go lighter than heavier i would rather go smaller than bulkier but i still want all my pockets to put stuff in i mean when when you bought your harness i mean you have a nice Kuyu one and the thing that i liked about that one is um the pocket opens reverse of others so it seems to be like you can get at them pretty
1: fast yeah yeah and then the way they strap around your neck and everything, and their the profile is nice because man, you can get in the woods. I mean, you one of our hunting partners, his vinyl carrying case. I mean, it sticks out four feet.
0: Yeah, that's it, yeah. It looks like uh no, that's what I'm. <laughs> that's exactly what I'd like to avoid because I was looking at one where it was like, oh, I can get the case and then I can attach my rangefinder to it. Oh, and then it's got this thing that goes on this strap and then. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm, I have a second backpack that goes on my chest, and and that's that's what I'm trying to avoid. When when you when you have your bino harness, I mean, aside from the binoculars, I mean, have you found have you found that there's a there's a need for extra pockets and and extra places to to put uh, small things that you need handy? Like, what do you keep in your bino harness besides the bino? So my bino
1: harness, I have the binos, and then I put my rangefinder, and then. Um, I put my wind checker, and that's it.
0: Okay, cool. So, and then you, because I've saw you, 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 you just clip your, um, you just clip your rangefinder to it. It's not like an extra big pocket, but you have your rangefinder case that kind of clips right to that strap.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was able to figure out how to just keep it there, so it, you know, lock it in there, so it doesn't move around, shift, and everything, so it's stay it's stable right there. But if you get on Black Ovis, they have a really nice bino harness, which will be my next, next one. Yep. And it's called an I, th- I might butcher the, the name on it. It's pretty simple. but AdAC, it's an ADAK bino system. A little costly, it's 150 bucks, but it's very low profile and it has an, a spot for your rangefinder and for your binos. Oh cool. And the thing you got to keep in mind, too, when you do this is that those bino cases, it depends on the size of your binos that you have on what bino case you get. So you got to be cognitive of that when you order it to make sure that it fits your particular binos because you could order one that's too small. (laughs) That'd be great. You get this nice bino case and you're
0: like, oh, snap. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. So And that probably also brings up another point. You know, I'm, a, I'm you know, three weeks out from potentially hunting, so you know, you want to make your, <clears throat> you want to make your purchase in a, in enough time where you can actually make sure it's all set up right, and and you get some, um, you get some, um, you know, you get some practice time with it. You know, you don't want to get out there and, you know, in a pinch need it and not know how to use it and get pissed at it. You know, when it's most likely user area. I'll tell you what the I'll tell you what I what I got out of this chat. Um, I'm probably going to head over to um, I'm probably going to head over to Sportco and and put some of these things on my face and see if I can't, you know, just let personal preference determine you know which which model I'm going to go through. But you know the the Vortex stuff seems you know not to to just put it out there. I'm a bit of a fanboy of. You know, this stuff that the the guys at Meat Eater do. But to be honest, when you look at the reviews, it seems like they are they do a pretty good job in in terms of buy in terms of putting out a product that is durable, it has the warranty, and um at 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 a particular price point in that mid range, when you're talking yeah. about that, that mid range price, they seem to put things out. Where they seem to get out competed is the really high end stuff, where you're talking about fifteen hundred to two thousand dollar plus. Which I'm not in that price range. Uh, that's not me either, man. <laughs> I ain't doing that. And if you <laughs> if you are there, uh, more power to you. Um, I think that's great. No, I'm just not there yet. There's, you know, if 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 I um if I'm under, I really want to come in under five hundred on the whole thing, whether that's harness, you know, the Bino. Um and you know that would include any other gadgets or gadgets I want to throw on this. So I'll be sniffing right around there, and um, I'm gonna hopefully make this decision real quick. But it might it might take me making a drive up to Fife and telling Ryan hello, um, over yeah. there in the pro shop, and then just uh, going in there and sneaking about, and um, they'll, so they'll let you actually. Do they have, a, they have a range inside that you go look at, or do they No, you just look out
1: the window, or you could go outside. They'll let you go outside and everything, too. Yeah, and
0: then I'll make a beeline for my van.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'll keep the kids in the <laughs> – I'll keep
0: the van running, the kids buckled up, and I'll get – I'll say, hey, I'll just test the range finder and that, that spot and scope, and, and while we're at it, I just want to compare – the laser finder and the bino and the range finder so i'm just going to do that comparison real quick and then i'll be line up for the van I there mean, you go dude. We'll get out of there we'll get out of there you know they run and gun baby they might be some hunting folk in there but i bet you i'm faster than all them guys behind that counter
1: well on another thing you have to <laughs> consider <clears throat> excuse me another thing to consider when you're in the pacific northwest is you know you want binoculars that are fog proof yes and waterproof as well okay.
0: And and it seems like it seems like most of the, I think anything that's going to be a hunting, um, bino is going to be good in that regard, and you know, and that was the other thing reading into this. I mean, they put all kinds of gas in there and different coatings for that, and you know, when you go and buy a car and they try to hack at you with this undercoat stuff and things like that. You live in the Northeast, you got to watch the salt and this and that and the other thing. You know, it does seem like with binos, all those coatings and and rubber stuff. I mean, it matters. And absolutely. So, so, so keep in mind there. Um, I think that part is a little bit above the pay grade, and we're, we're getting deep into the minutes here. But, um, you know, get it, get a chest carrier that that's gonna. As we kind of review the gear stuff we've talked about in this after action review here, just you know, uh, chest carrier that. That's not an extra backpack, but fits the bino is important. Um, you know, consider your use for your binoculars before you buy them. You know, are you going to be sitting up on a tripod or are you going to be handheld most of the time? And then and then from there, it's just a matter of, you know, probably getting out there and wearing them a bit, which which, which will probably be my task this weekend um, and then trying them out. But I'll tell you, even, you know, your set, Jeremy, that um, I saw a lot of benefits you know what I mean? Um, being able to pick up that elk, for one, you have great eyesight, but two, um, it did help us. But um, there's also a need for maybe something a little sharper sometimes if you're going to invest in in kind of that hunting where you're glassing up. Uh, do you have uh, any final thoughts that you'd like to tip out to folks when they consider making a buy-no purchase?
1: Oh, uh, no, not really. I think we did a pretty good thorough job. I mean, there's just a whole range of... There's a whole set of price ranges man it starts from 99 dollars and goes up to shoot four thousand. so yeah you I, my main thing is just get in there and get your hands on them and see if they work because you got eye relief you have all these other things <clears throat> that take that you need to take in consideration that buying a set of binos you get them and then it may not have the right eye relief for you and then that could be a pain in the rear because then you're you want to be able to you know, push them up against your eyes to have that stability. Otherwise, if they're not, then you are you have to pull them away and then you're sitting there floating and then that turns into a real pain in the butt.
0: And that's a tough sell. Yeah, no.
1: so just eye relief. Keep that in mind. So I guess I did have a, a last-minute thought. Well,
0: and, and to be honest, not you know, you keep it going. I'm a little worried about that because even shooting archery, you know, the thing that fatigues for me first is is my eyesight more than anything. And I'm a little weary of uh, product... Um uh this would this is almost like a bit of a blind purchase for me because even if I go to Sportsco and you know, spend two minutes with each pair, you know, it's gonna end up being like a kind of a gut purchase because Oh yeah. You know, it's just a it's a toughie. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm to be honest, I'm a little worried because I am a little susceptible to migraines. Um my eyesight seems fatigue when I Really look at it, and you know, I wonder what that's all about, but um, you know, I and I wonder too if there is like an acclimation period to getting used to something like this. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm knee deep in it, but I also think to some degree you got to jump in the damn pool. Um, yeah, so, exactly. so. and you'll
1: get used to it. it, it takes a little bit. Like I told you, when I was up there doing it, the hunt with my brother in laws in Oregon, it, it took me a little bit, but once I got pushed through that, um, then my eyes weren't strained, and they were, you know, used to glassing
0: all day long well there it is we'll get get used to glassing um you know uh, sometimes you got to rip the band-aid off and buy something big um you know we're all in that we all want new gear we all do best gear but you know hopefully maybe you're like me and you just want to buy it once so you might as well put the time in and, and be happy with what you got i did okay with my bow um hopefully i don't screw this one up um but, but, uh, <laughs> you oh. won't but we'll work through it guys. But um y'all have a good one. Uh Jeremy, this was a fun chat. I think uh I don't know, you know, the train you know, we, we spent spent a little bit of time here um on the live and the hunt portion. Uh not too much on the training side, but I will say I am still keeping up to date on my pull ups at St. Francis Cabrini every time I go under that gate. And I will let you know that my daughter is in the mix now. Charlie Very nice. Charlie does five pull ups every day. And for her. here's the thing about Charlie when she doesn't, she doesn't with her backpack on. <laughs> oh,
1: geez, you better, you better up your game, bro. Yeah. So Char- <laughs> no,
0: well, she does five total. I do 12 total in the day. Cause I go into oh, the gate okay. four times. She does, she does five, you know, don't believe me. I ain't going to let my six year old girl get me in anything. We ain't doing that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it's funny. I had a buddy text me that I work with. He, um, He goes, you know, I ran into, he goes, actually goes, do you do pull-ups at Cabrini? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, you are the guy. He was talking with his neighbor, and his neighbor goes to my school. And I guess his neighbor's kid is in my kid's class, and they got to chat, and uh, I'm the psycho. I'm the psycho that does the pull ups. But I'm telling you, I'm gonna get other people doing this with me. I'm telling you, two thousand one hundred and sixty pull ups. I can't get over that, and it's not hard. You can all be doing it. So as we finish this up with a little training tip, find something you can do every day somewhere, and just get to doing it, even if it's one to three reps. Get after it today. Stay folks.
1: committed. That's it.
0: That's it. That's it. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, I digress. But uh, Joe (laughs) Shamanic asking you to train, hunt, and live the best you can. And um, Jeremy, man, thanks for providing a little bit of insight into how you used and uh, made your bino choice and even lending some uh, spotting stuff in there. So um, I'll keep you posted.
1: All right. Sounds good, man. We'll be waiting to hear from you on it. All right. What your final decision was. I know. It's
0: a big one. Everyone's with with bated breath. What binos did Joe buy? Sure. I hate spending money. <laughs> nah, you know, nobody likes it, right? But, you know, yeah. if it, if it's helpful, if it gets you to notch a tag, well, then it's worth it. Amen. All right, brother. Well, have a All good right. one. Tell the family hello and uh, take it easy, brother.
1: All right, buddy. God bless America.